Live from Guttercat Studios in the Metaverse, it's time for another episode of the Crazy About Crypto Show. And now here's your host, Crazy Carl. Hey yo, what is going on? This show is already popping. Thanks for being here. And if you're listening to the podcast, hello from all around the world. And welcome to the Crazy About Crypto Show, an interactive live podcast on Twitter Spaces for anyone exploring crypto and wanting to learn from others that have already dived into the space. From NFT artists to savvy crypto investors to everyday people just like you and I, this is a place where we can come together and learn about this new wave of innovation. Today's guest is an investor and collector that I've always looked up to a lot. Along with OSF, today's guest created Canary Art, one of the greatest NFT collections in the world. The kind of ones from Fawot in the world. Together to create Flips Finance, an NFT statistic and raking protocol to help collectors research in this ecosystem. Another resource for beginners in the space. The more you learn about today's guest, the more you will admire him. It's my extreme honor to share the stage with the one and only Mando. What is going on, man? Hey man, thanks for the intro. It's very, very kind. It made me big, big me up in a big way, which I, uh, which I enjoy at two a.m. You know, hell yeah, we need just a little energy boost to get the show started is what we need. And uh, but you really have done so much. When you're in the process of building, sometimes it can just feel like like. Uh, grudgingly slow at times just like a lot of work and not seeing uh kind of the growth that you like uh in the quickness of time but it's just in, in inspiring to see how quick you've put together so many uh amazing things for this ecosystem so i'm i'm excited to hop right into it before i, I we talk a little more about everything that you've done in the space i'd love just for you to kind of uh rewind and take us back to how you started in this space whether it was crypto or nfts what kind of led you to today yeah so um i guess my story is not is not that similar to, to many others in this space i um i'd never bought crypto before um in fact the first time i bought crypto was early february 2021 so just over a year ago that was the first time i actually got involved um and the reason why i never really got involved in crypto before was kind of the same sort of narrative that a lot of people have that you know you felt you were you were slightly late to it but i also in terms of the use cases for crypto i think i got bitcoin but um i failed to really see the applications of ethereum like i kind of looked into DeFi in early 2020 or mid 2020 but then when i found nfts in early 2021 i quickly came to the conclusion that this could be the biggest commercialization of of, um, of crypto out there. I really did feel it could be absolutely massive, um, and then I kind of just went all in. So my background is more from a from a trading background. I was a, a trader for uh, ten years. Um, I used to trade distressed and high yield bonds, which is kind of they're kind of a liquid assets, um, very similar to to JPEGs in that they are very volatile. Uh, big gaps in the in the price move. So I kind of and during 2020, I'd been looking at um, I've been looking at basically stuff for inflation. So back in 2020, I, I kind of thought the inflation was about to go pretty crazy. So I started looking at art and wine and a few other collectible style style things. And you started to see a few of the um, the main marketplaces like Rally 
masterworks, which were kind of the predecessors really to the NFT boom, where you would fractionalize ownership of um, of collectibles, but in real life collectibles. And so I started looking at those and investing quite heavily in, in a few of those. And then in late 2020, I found from just investing in the art world, um, I've been following Beeple. And then I, I found that um, he was now moving into NFTs. And as soon as I found about NFTs, which is kind of December 2020, I spent kind of the next few weeks researching, finding out what was going on. Um, and then by kind of early February, late January, I was starting to buy. Um, and that was just really lucky timing, if I'm honest. Um, it was, I think, quite a lot of people have a similar sort of story where they, when they first heard about NFTs, they were suddenly super interested and they spent the next few weeks, uh, maybe a couple of months researching them and buying. I was just lucky to find out about it early because of my naturally I was looking into stuff that was related to that. Um, and kind of, the, I don't want to go into too deep from there, but like the, the rest is kind of history. I, I got involved mainly in the art scene and, um, cause that was what it really was back then. I mean, there were punks and a few of the other, um, older collectibles like crypto kitties people were debating whether they were going to get that big and hash masks had just been released but generally it was it was nifty gateway which was taking a lot of the interest of the market when i when i first got involved um now i i actually didn't buy a single nifty gateway piece um because i realized that it, the, the model of open editions and, and a lot of supply at the time just did, didn't seem like one that, that kind of worked for me. Um, I just kind of felt like it would burn out pretty quickly. So I, I actually, in January and February, I, um, I, I started buying one of ones on Super Rare. Um, I bought one of one by Ferocious, a couple by Hackatow, one by Copy, a couple of Coldies, um, just kind of the OGs of, of, of crypto art, um, which was, at the time, it was... Um, an aggressive um, investment. Um, I think all in, I put in close to $150,000 in January of 2021. And at the time that was big, you know, like you were overpaying for a lot of these pieces right now, like that, that like people spend more than that on one single, you know, Moonbird. But uh, at the time it was, it was, it was pretty big. Um, and I remember over feeling like I was overpaying for some of these pieces um, and at the time it, it was just, it was the money that I was going to put into art. So it was like, it was my savings that I was going to put into investing in art and decided to put into, into crypto art. And I think I remember I bought a piece by Hackatow in, in kind of January, um, for about $20,000. And by March I had sold that piece to Danny seed phrase for $250,000. And that just showed you how meteoric, that's not a brag, it just shows you how meteoric that rise was. Like I just got in so luckily at a time just before everything took off. Um, and I think the, the only real skill after that was not getting out. So like when, when everything started to collapse from Nifty Gateway in early to mid 2021, um, I, I kind of, picked up on the idea that profile pictures were going to start getting very big and 
made sure I didn't take my money out and, and kind of proceeded to reinvest the vast majority of that into um, into profile pictures. Um, and then there was just one one crazy night in in June or maybe July where I kind of emptied emptied my savings account, emptied my wife's savings account, um, and one night just bought eighty board apes. I remember. Um, I was right. We were only like 2% in the savings account. I just thought, you know, these are going to keep on going. Um, and originally I just thought that was going to be like a two X or a three X trade, hopefully. Um, and then I just kind of diamond hands and sell. So it's been more right time, right place. I feel like, and maybe just some guts to, to keep at it during some of the wild swings. But I think that's maybe just my history of being a trader in markets where it's kind of, it's kind of like that. Like it's just very, very liquid and, and it swings wildly. You know, I love the, you're an educated DGen is what you are. You, uh, you're a DGen, but you went in, you did a lot of research before. I remember, uh, in September of 2020, um, before people had sold, I, I started, I started hearing about NFTs. I've, uh, I was crypto native too. I, I kind of got in, in 2017, um, a lot less. I was a public uh, school teacher, so I had less to work with, but it's interesting to kind of hear a story because it's, uh, it's so true how this, the cycles continue to evolve. And one thing about your story that I love is like, you did a lot of research into like the top artists and I made the mistake of not really doing that and just trying to, uh, just pick and choose. And I lost a lot of money. I think probably 2015 to 20 ETH, uh, which at the time was a huge percentage of my crypto portfolio, just like making really bad bets. Uh, and, and the one thing that I realized from those mistakes though, is like this, this flight to quality that always happens, whether it's in, uh, any sort of investment category you see a lot of people you know make these mistakes and then they realize you know get in the things that are here for the long run and you're starting to see that kind of education and and that model more and more in the space especially with seeing a lot less uh there's still too many projects selling out and then just dying uh but it's it's getting less and less and it is funny because even though you may not have been around i'm sure you were kind of watching but same similar thing happened in crypto in 2017 and 18 with the ico boom there's still a few big projects like binance that was born out of that era but a lot a lot of projects died and uh is another phase where i lost a lot of money through all these phases though you like you said you learn and uh, it is funny because those first few months from January to March or April, uh, it was all about, you know, uh, one of ones, uh, it was about open editions. It was all about the art and, um, the, the conversation was more, you know, when is photography or when is music going to get in all of this? Um, and, and I'm sure you remember all the bonding curves too, <laughs> that, uh, that were very scammy back in the early days. It, it's just so fascinating to see how far we've come, but I love that you really did your research to figure out what, who the, what crypto artists are really, uh, OGs and pioneers and you were smartly got invested in in one of ones from them I, I also switched way too late but in april or may that was kind of my strategy luckily have a one of one hackatown now and coldy and uh and excited i was able to snag two beeples from the spring collection 
uh, even though they're additions. It's just, it, it's amazing to be able to, you know, think long term and see like that these crypto OG artists are building for years and years before the space even kind of got going. They were selling their art for basically nothing. And um, now their supply is so scarce because they're, they're smart about how they go about it. One thing that I've always said, and I've thought very similar to you as a collector and investor, uh, a lot of artists that come into this space may not have a fi- like a finance background or, or like an economic background. It's hard to understand a lot of times you hear this, uh, like this argument about utility or no utility, uh, art is art. A lot of that is so true. What what I think is interesting though is like you said when you saturate a supply of anything the value has to that will go down and uh, we saw it happen in the early days and I think there was a level of burnout that kind of was created from crypto art and a kind of allowed for the birth space of these PFP collections uh, and and I'm just curious what your thoughts were around when all of that was going on if you had kind of if you talked to artists at all or if you just were focused on buying crypto uh, uh, crypto art from OGs uh, and one of ones because you just didn't see the point of of trying to 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 chase uh, the additions. Uh, yeah. So, so so what I would say is is that it, um, back in that period it was it was a strange period because I think a lot of people found out about NFTs at around the same time, but there was this narrative in the market that in some ways you were too early. Like there was no there was no cognizance of what would hold long-term value because nothing really had. Like CryptoKitties had come and failed and you had a lot of these sort of failed projects. Only really punks had hold their, held their value. And even when I was getting involved, it was, this, it was this concept of should you just buy ETH? Because this whole thing's going to be backed by ETH. Um, and ETH is suddenly going to become this this commercialized currency which is going to turn a lot of consumerism into investment. And I uh, there was part of me just thought like you're too early here. If you put in money, you're never gonna like you're end up buying stuff which you know won't be have value in six months. We've just seen somebody who bought one of the first tweets, right? And we we had we had that we had that discussion on our show. Like in some ways, it was too early to work out what was going to be valuable. Um, from a traditional art background, when I've been investing in art. Although I, I, I did do a lot of research into which artists were going to be big, what I think I failed to recognize is back in the traditional art world, it was, you know, art really, really starts to increase in value when artists die, if I'm honest. Um, you can buy contemporary artists or, up and cut, or emerging artists, but um, that value is very, very volatile. And what was different about crypto art, which I didn't get at the start, was on-chain provenance. Uh, in terms of dates so like i would buy i would bought like the most recent akatao piece or i would buy the most recent ferocious piece and you you maybe fail to recognize that like the 2018 or 2019 pieces might be more valuable because they were earlier on chain the concept of earlier on chain is kind of only really unique to crypto art like you don't buy a rothko or or like i don't know a da vinci because of the year it was necessarily um, minted. It's often to do with um, the, there is historical significance to it, but there's also, it, it's generally to do with the piece um, rather than, than it being on chain. 
So that, that created a narrative which I actually failed to pick up on and kind of only really came in to the forefront later. Like X copy of that, you could buy, when I came in, I didn't buy that many X copies because I failed to recognize that he was one of the first artists on chain. Um, and that only really picked up in May time. I think that's when all the X copies start, the early X copies started changing hands for very high levels. And that's when the story of the Lost Robbies kind of really increased as well because suddenly people started seeing, you know, the OGs as not just the, the artists themselves, but as the actual pieces. And that, that, was a very, that was a strange shift in narrative, which I, I failed to pick up on that time. I, I mean, everyone could have made more money if they, if they knew what was going to happen, but that was definitely something that, that I kind of missed. So, yes, I did spend a lot of time speaking to artists, um, one-of-ones, and you could kind of get the ones that were more aware of the history of crypto art. I think on Super Rare for a long time, there was debates between even artists about how much you should mint. You've seen, you've seen people kicked off the platform arguably because they minted too much um robness for example came on our show and said that was one of the main issues that he had with constantly minting like he got a lot got a lot of flack flack for it and i think that was the same for max osiris he also got kicked off the platform so there were some artists that kind of were very much aware of the supply uh, demand um balance that you needed to create so generally i would speak to a lot of artists during that period and kind of get their story um particularly the art that i love but also there is, there was a, there is a new, um, you know, you get rid of a lot of the gatekeepers here, right? You get rid of a lot of the um, the galleries and maybe the agents that would help um, bring creatives to market, but that also means that you do need um, creatives to have a bit more of an entrepreneurial slash business side, and that was something that I found was pretty consistent in some of the top in some of the top artists like um you could have amazing incredible art art pieces but um if they also had more of an idea of you know that they were they were aware of the system that they were in of supply uh supply demand because like i said this has never really been the case most artists never die before they get recognized as being incredibly valuable so this this was one where people had to, to to recognize that they were in a they were in um, a new paradigm where um, the value was brought by supply su- supply demand imbalances and and also the the idea of, of kind of creating that relationship with um, with your collectors which is kind of the, the the precursor to this concept of like making a community and and uh, these like token drops that you've seen which have been very popular in uh, over the last few months. Yeah, I love that. I think that is like just a really good history of uh, the evolution of the NFT space. If you're new to the space, you I mean, you don't you, you probably don't remember uh, a lot of this time, but it is it's fascinating too just to think that and I've talked about this the last couple episodes just because it still blows my mind that we're still uh, we still have not arrived at the one year anniversary of the Bored Apes. Uh, and at this time last year, it was a whole different world uh, in the NFT space. And looking back, it seems like forever ago, but at the same time, it really was not uh, that long ago. One thing that I think is fascinating is what happened with the CryptoPunks and what happened with the Bored Ape Yacht Club, especially in regards to Pranksy, uh, because he became a huge market maker for both of those markets 
minutes, which is really uh, kind of a critical thing. And you see it in some of the top end um, art in in the ecosystem as well. All of the top, uh, all of the big money was going after similar pieces because uh, that allowed the value to accrue. That's something that I started to really understand over watching the space over time and something that I I think uh, isn't talked about enough, just how important kind of especially starting on uh, and still seeing so many projects that maybe have potential but fail, the importance of finding community members that really understand the long-term effect and slowly release if they are going to take profit, like they don't dump on the market. Can you talk about what it was like to kind of see Pranksy's moves because he was around before you really got started? I'm sure someone you were studying and trying to figure out and some of like uh, the early uh, maybe traders or collectors that you were watching in the space that really are were influential to kind of the notion of, of what makes these markets move. Yeah, so, so Pranksy... Um is it definitely a trader that I admire, but it's, it's not really the star that I've really gone for in, um, in NFTs. Like my, my general view is that, um, diversification is trash in NFTs. Um, I think that the vast majority of, of, of collections are going to go to zero, um, over a medium term horizon. Um, so I, I generally have a very high hurdle for what I'll invest in. Now, um, that means that, for example, I have very concentrated positions, but there's only, I would only have them in you know, five to 10 collections at a time. And that's, that's kind of how the collection that me and OSF have, have, have come to share got formed, is that we, we concentrated ourselves in certain positions and then we kind of held on for a lot longer. Now, Pranksy's style um, is is mint probably a, a much higher percentage of, of collections and more play the the two to five X. Um, and if he's lucky, like some of these can go up to like five ETH and they they can be great trades. But that's that's kind of what happened with the board apes, right? Like you can't say that Prank, Pranksy did bad on board apes. Like he did incredible on his own strategy, right? That was one of his biggest wins. Um, but it's a different style of trading. Um, and it requires your ear to the ground in a much higher way, but also you have to appreciate you're probably going to have a lot of swings and a miss. Um, and I think the fact that Pranksy came into this with with a pretty high treasury helped him. Yeah. Whereas I think I think the style that we um, that I I came in with this was a much lower treasury, going for much higher probability shots mm-hmm. um, and and shots that I could hold over a medium to long term. Um, and that's still to this day how we generally look at stuff. Like our benchmark for getting involved is incredibly high um, because uh, we just find that um, we don't like owning projects where we where we feel as though we're going to have to trade the life cycle of a project. Um, we'd rather buy, buy, own a project where we feel like we can own it for three to five years. Um, and I, we luckily have found that that has been a successful strategy. It's not, I'm not saying that should be successful for everyone. It requires a, a ton of due diligence. And um, me and OSF have like a number of different uh, like benchmarks with which each project should have to pass before we kind of look um, to, to, to onboard it. But that's, that's generally how we look at things. 
I love that. I love that you made that distinction too, because I I agree with you, uh, especially in regards to kind of the trading style. Uh, I much more am aligned to kind of the trading style that you and OSF kind of uh, subscribe to, which is this like hev- heavily bet on stuff that you really have conviction on, and then hold it and let it, you know, as long as the the basically the parameters of why you made the investment didn't change, then there's really no reason to sell. Uh, One thing that I really admire, I I listened to the AM show the other day that you were talking about. One of the things that I I didn't do a good job putting in kind of the parameter is the... um, the level of volume that happens because you want to you want somewhat uh, liquid assets if you do need to sell something and I thought that was really interesting I think that is a really good point um, but the other thing that collections obviously need in order to make it are people like you and OSF uh, because if you look at the board apes and you look at the top hundred uh, it's a lot of people that uh, that just held and that locks up so much supply and that cannot um, you know s- something like that cannot go without mention because that's a huge factor when you have a community uh, that really believes in something and those top holders that really believe uh, that's what really creates a strong market. And uh, that's what you know, Pranksy did similar. He just slowly released, but he didn't dump all at once. Even if it would go up and down, he would slowly, one at a time, let it go so there, there wasn't this massive dump. So in some ways controlled. But in the long run, you know, the reason that it has such a high floor price in a lot of ways is because all of the volume uh, that is, is just like very short-term traders and all these longer-term traders that have established their positions really aren't moving anything around. Uh, and, and I just just think that's really admirable. I think that the conviction that you guys have when you make a bet, it's uh, you go heavy on things you believe in. So I guess the the next question would be, what are what are some of those things, especially as the space gets noisier and louder? Uh, back in the day, you know, you may be analyzing a handful of projects. Now it's just like. It's, uh, it's much more difficult. So I guess my question, back then you, you were making investments earlier on. Do you spend a lot more time now when you buy into a project waiting for more proof because you kind of have that time that you uh, are willing to wait to, to make sure that it is there for the long haul? Tell me a little bit about like what it takes to, to kind of get into the portfolio now, uh, especially uh, with all the noise and all of the, the short-term thinking that's in the space. Yeah, so so this this kind of uh, depends on what we look at. So for art, it's still very much, um, you know, we'll look at look at the standard stuff. So like historical significance, um, how much we like the art, but also the artist significance. So for art, it hasn't really changed that much. Like we still look at the same grails, which I think a lot of other people look at and think, right, these are going to be valuable over the next five, ten years. But our time horizon is, is very long. Like one of one art has become increasingly liquid. So our, our view on that is um, hasn't really shifted much. Our view on the on the profile pictures has, um, I think, slightly. I think um, now I remember when I first bought into Board Apes. It was one. It was just because of it, it was the community, but it was two. That there was this narrative about mutants are coming, right? Mutants are coming. Mutants are coming, um, and that kind of led to this absolute blow off top back in September when they did eventually come. But um, we we quickly picked up on this concept of of, um, of Web3 style rewards 
uh, my personal view, if I look across the the whole um, ecosystem of NFT assets right now, I do continue to believe that avatars will be um, profile picture projects will be the most valuable projects for the next decade, maybe decade plus, because for me, um, they will be used across the quote unquote metaverse, whatever your view of the metaverse will be. If it will be across, you can use them across social media, whether that's Twitter, Discord, um, whatever other uh, them. They'll be used with like native ones, you know, the ones that you can imagine could be used in a game which is made by Microsoft and be used in a game which is made by Nintendo or something like that. So we're very much, we do really like the, the, the brand, the Web3 avatar brands which have been which have been brought up in this space. And that, you've only really seen, the only antithesis to that is something like, is something like um, uh, Clonex, for example, which you, you could imagine there being some IP fights, right? But um, that's, that's something that we particularly believe in. And for P2E gaming, we can imagine you being able to play it in, it, use these avatars in these, um, in these profile pictures and in any of those environments as well. So over the next 10 years, I can't tell you that any game or any metaverse will make it. And I can't tell you that like many of the assets in any of those will be transferable. So like, I don't know if you could use your gun in a certain game, which you could then use in a different game. But I can tell you that I think avatars will have far more interoperability across games and across platforms, whether that's social media games or metaverses. So we do think that avatars will continue to be a very, very big um, asset in this in this system. A now, lot, yeah, that makes a lot yeah. of sense. So, so we, I think in ten years we'll, we will still be talking about the most valuable stuff. There'll be obviously like certain grails which trade, but our view is that that that, that will definitely continue to be a, a narrative here, no matter how much everyone hates it. Um, so we have generally tried to focus on that, um, and then. If I'm honest, like it might sound like a broken record, but we do think that um, this is a very innovative way of, of building a brand. So we look for brands um, that are trying to do something new. But this this concept of right back in the day, what if Pokemon had airdropped 150 Pokemon to to, to people and then had airdropped um, the next 800 Pokemon when it brought out the next game and then airdropped the the lands that you then play the game in and then the coin and then the move the dow for the movie and then other characters and other items like this is going to be a very effective way of building building a brand so we are generally looking for people um for people with that, that sort of ambition um in terms of what we have in terms of our hurdle rate for that sort of stuff we we um it's very very tough to get over a poor unique ownership um from the outset you can have incredible incredible artwork and even incredible narrative and it's very very tough to get over even a 5e floor so we're generally looking for unique holders above 55 percent um we generally look for um percentage listed below 10 percent um and these are things that become more obvious after a month so if you're we again we we, we often do miss out on um the 0.08 to 1 ETH move, but we will often be picking up at stuff after that. Then we spend a lot of time on the teams because we find that, um, look, NFTs are for life. Like these projects are for life. Um, and you need to find teams 
that you can see them doing this day in, day out. And it kind of fits in with what they were doing before. Like we'll often, um, and this is extended into what we've done in Web3 because we've had, we actually also find a lot of Web3 start funding opportunities opportunities to start starting to come out. And that's that's kind of arguably what Moonbirds is. We got involved in Rub Radio for a very similar idea that you're going to see these sort of Web3 organizations form. But if you can find um, founders and creators that are have been doing this day in, day out before for, for maybe multiple years or decades um, and love doing it, then it's super easy to imagine that they are going to enjoy this space because it's a very rewarding space if you um, if you can build a brand. Um, you get you get a, a loyalty from your community and be able to do that. And if you're you're enjoying doing it before, it's very hard not to enjoy it doing it with kind of a Web three ethos around it. So we spend a lot of due diligence on the teams, um, and we have naturally tended towards these, this concept of, yeah, we won't sell the board apes, but for example, we, we sold the, the vast majority of the ape coin that we got the other day. Like we, we, if you can reward us with assets along the way, like that, that allows us to keep the core asset. Um, and we will generally try and we'll look to take profits on, on the, um, ancillary assets that get, that get, uh, rewarded alongside it. Yeah, I think I, I just love I mean, the knowledge that you you're imparting is, is just inva- so valuable. And I'm, I'm grateful that you're here, especially for anyone in the audience that can learn and the podcast listeners, because it is it's um it is a difficult world to maneuver. And I just love the point. And I think a lot of people say it. But like it is so true about when you're a builder in this space. And if you if anyone is in the space, you know how and tried to build anything, whether it's even just selling one piece of art or starting a collection, you know how difficult it is to be a builder. And it, and it takes a lot of work and not only a lot of work, but it takes a lot of resilience in the face of adversity to kind of build something. And so I think it's really important uh, just to go back and, and just re-mention again how important teams are uh, when kind of evaluating projects and trying to figure out, you know, very interesting is looking back at the very early days, uh, the Board Ape Yacht Club, the Gutter Cats, the Cool Cats, uh, kind of like these first these these first um, projects that kind of started. You also have like Oni Force, you know, that isn't as active. Pudgy Penguins. These are some other projects that were really big that maybe aren't as active or don't have as as great of a stronghold with a team anymore. But one thing that I think is interesting in the ones that have made it, uh, I'm curious what your thoughts are because it is so fascinating seeing it, uh, the evolution into almost like this enterprise and that with Yugo, this is becoming and, and the kind of the, the revenue stream that they have, just like the insane amount of things you can do with it. When I, I just, I'm curious what your thoughts are. If I don't know if you've ever talked to the founders of, of Board Ape Yacht Club, but it's got to be, uh, sometimes I do this thought exercise where I just like think about trying to put myself in the shoes of these guys. Like, uh, there's no way they imagined like this amount of success is in such a short time. Uh, and also, I'm curious what your thoughts are in terms of like how the, the evolution of a lot of the value add for these projects and how they kind of expand, um, you know, with with the collection to bring in new holders. 
uh, while also giving value to their holders. Uh, it's clear that you know the Board Ape Yacht Club founders were really one of the first to add utility. So they clearly were kind of the innovators of of uh, giving everyone like a second asset and airdrop or allowing them to claim that. Do you think uh, a lot of a lot of the space has been just kind of being flexible and be like being able to evolve with kind of where the the uh, the space takes you? Uh, and I'm just curious how you think like. A lot of these founders, even someone like Gary Vee that's in the space, I'm sure a lot of what he does changes, you know, from three months ago because the system changes, the ecosystem. How important is it to be flexible and see like that aspect of a team to be able to kind of respond to change? Because I think a lot of times people don't realize how important that element of a, of a project can be. Uh, yeah, so so to go into the various points that you just made, so um, I have spoken um, to the, to the founders of Board Ape Yacht Club. We we had a call with them, a couple of calls with them, um, kind of in September and October, and it's one of the reasons why we we held on um, very strong. We we generally try and um, speak to the founders, founding teams of, of of the of the projects we get involved in. But their call was particularly interesting because I remember it was back in September, and um, we we spoke to them and they it wasn't really about they just hired Gaio Siri, they just brought on Animoca. Um, but it was it was their narrative that was the big thing. I remember very clearly on the call, um, I think it was Gordon said, you know, we wanna make it so that the guy who minted a board ape for two hundred dollars doesn't want to sell it when it's at two hundred thousand dollars. And I remember thinking, that's just a really powerful like North Star. And we spoke about North Stars on our space earlier today, but like that was just a really powerful like mission, in my opinion. Like if you're thinking about that as a creator, um, as a as a founder, and yeah, they 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 very were very professional on the call, but you could tell that they obviously they, they this must have been a surprise to them. But to have that clearer narrative about what they were gonna do to drive drive value, um, we felt we felt was very powerful at the time, um, and we felt that 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 is still their narrative. So they they are constantly thinking, right? Why why would someone who's minted this for two hundred dollars not want to sell it at three hundred and sixty thousand dollars? Like they are going to continue to try and add value to their holders and build the brand. And if when you have something like that, that's a, that is an incredibly strong strong narrative. Now. <laughs> Sorry, you, you go. No, I was just going to say, I mean, that just gives me chills, you know, like that's a, it's not, not necessarily just that mindset. I'm sure it's easy for anyone to say that, but just the fact that if, uh, like you said, like that guiding star, it's clear every move they've made is to kind of continue, uh, that, that direction and just that journey. Uh, and, and then, and they've got those holders. And I think that's the part that gives me chills. Like there's the people that really believe that really have just no interest in selling, um, um, and that's like, that's just so, that's just like that secret sauce that's so hard to come up with is, is finding the, the reason the collectors don't sell just isn't because they love their cartoon JPEG so much. It's because they really are getting value added constantly. Uh, and sometimes it's like, how do that, how does that continue? But it just doesn't seem to stop when it comes to the board Ape Yacht Club. Yeah, look, um, there is no doubt in my mind that this is this has diminishing returns. Like, um, no matter how much utility you, you bring to a collectible, um, like 
maybe in a decade or whatever, this the, the value of the board apes will more like a historical NFT. Like there will only be so much value, I'm sure, that you can you can bring, or at least it will have diminishing returns. Like when they do Ape Fest 2040, I think it will probably have diminishing returns versus Ape Fest 2022. I don't know, but that's that's my general view. Um, and I feel you have to feel comfortable in the idea that you you've particularly with board Ape, that you have bought a historical NFT at the same time. Like it's the, the good thing about it is the narrative is quickly also becoming you know they're an OG. Um, and that's that's something that you kind of want to hope for your collectibles as well that they can kind of rest on the idea that they also have some form of historical significance to them. So the the idea that they have sort of some sort of unique selling point is quite strong for us as well in in when we look for collectibles. Um, so them being the first of something or definitely being the first group of something is is very a very powerful narrative. Um, if down the line somehow it falters, you know. Um, so, so I would, um, where, where do I see the future of quote unquote utility? Now I, I did say that at the start of this, that I think, um, avatars and profile pictures are going to be the most valuable things. That's not to say that that's where, where our investments have, have gone. We don't think there's going to be a hundred, um, uh, projects as valuable as board apes. Like there's only so many deals you can do with Nike or with Adidas or with Animoca, um, like not every project is going to have that open to them. So it's going to be, um, you have to probably accept that there are going to be tears to this. Um, and that, that that's just something that you're going to have to work out. There's probably only going to be a, you know, a handful of, let's say a few dozen, um, valuable avatar projects in our opinion. And there's going to be tears to that as well. Like there's no doubt. Um, that, that being said, like I think, I think what you will see with these projects, and what we, this goes back to why we think they're going to be valuable, is you're going to start to see the roadmaps become increasingly decentralized as well. So as the value of these brands grow, you're going to see other projects, um, particularly in gaming and in metaverse worlds, as they grow. Has so. They clearly viewed this as a way to use a range of different avatars in their worlds. There will be no doubt in my mind that you will see, um, you know, the Fortnite slash Epic Games um, metaverse being launched. You'll see the Facebook metaverse being launched. You'll see a, a bunch of other metaverses that will similarly try and court these brands. Um, and so you can rely on the idea that you don't necessarily have to build the the P2E game. You don't necessarily have to build the metaverse yourself. You can partner with other builders or major players in the space that are, that will be looking to court these brands in various different ways. Um, you know, like Azuki, for example. I don't know if Azuki is going to build a metaverse, but no doubt, I think that there will be other metaverses that come to them and be like, "Look, we want to build this out for you. We'll do everything." Like, just, just, we want to be your collaborator. In the same way, that they might do a collaboration with Supreme, who might also look at them and be like, you know, we want to get into NFTs. How can we do it? So, in some ways, you just look, you're looking for a very strong brand value um, and a community, which, in some ways, is rewarding its holders. But if, as long as it has that brand value, you, you perceive that it that, that it can keep that over over a medium term. Then, um, I think the value for these like you can't really say what the utility is going to be because 
like I said, the roadmaps are going to be so decentralized. You're going to see full brands and businesses even built on the back of some of these. And um, they're going to reward holders, which the team hadn't even planned for. And that's one of the great things about owning IP rights in these sorts of scenarios as well. Like, um, Board Apes out that like some game will come to Cool Cats or Gutter Cats and be like, hey, we want to use all of the Gutter Cats. We'll pay you 5K a Gutter Cat to, for our game um, to sign over the licensing. Like, you're going to see so many of these. There's so many of these opportunities um, to, li- to license, basically, or share your IP or collab in a certain way. Um, and I think it's, it's one of the great things about being part of one of these valuable, particularly Web3 owned um, communities is that you, you'll be able to rely on that. But w- where I see the, the, like the immediate thing for, for Board Apes, I still think that you'll, the main utility will expand um, even more into in real life as well. I can imagine them following a system of, of events and also locations across the world. Um, they could very easily mimic a Soho style um, expansion, I, I, I would expect, or at least uh, collaboration alongside a, a, a private members club that's looking to expand in a very similar way. Um, I can imagine this this world could could expand in, in many different ways in terms of the assets and items that you have in it. Um, and also, I think fashion is going to be a, a, a very, very big thing. I can imagine them doing some very big deals uh, along the way, not just with Adidas. Um, I think Adidas expanded their their partnership the other day, but there's going to be um, there's going to be a range of things there. Um, and then I guess classic stuff like you can you can imagine music NFTs are going to become very big, film, TV, these sort of DAO style things are going to become very big. So there's still there's still ways for that brand to to expand, but I'm under no illusions that there there will be diminishing returns. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And especially like you said, like, uh, that's also got to be part of anyone's decision. It's, uh, the time of when they invest, you know, like investing after a certain point, like investing $200,000 now versus, you know, $10,000 before, or, you know, after, right after the eight, the mutants launch is a different type of scenario too. So everyone has to kind of, uh, assess their portfolio in that way to figure out, you know, is this, what kind of returns are still available for me at this point, this price point? And uh, I think that is, that's really important to mention. I'm glad you did because the diminishing returns as well as the price point, the buy-in price uh, does have to kind of factor into any sort of decision with buying. One, one thing that I wanted to turn to, and then we're going to go into um, community corner. So if you have a question for Mando, this is, I mean, he's just opened up about so much. So I'm sure that some of you have some additional questions I haven't touched on. Hit that request button. We'll bring some people up here in just a minute. But one question I wanted to uh, throw to you before we end, because it's something that I've never, I never have heard the story behind how you and OS, uh, OSF uh, really became partners. Um, if your collections, I know there's two OpenSea accounts. So if you basically uh, both each hold your own assets and it's just combined uh, in terms of basically showing everyone your your investment portfolio and styles tell us a little bit about that partnership because i know you and osf have become really close friends i don't even know if you guys were friends prior to this or if you met in the metaverse um so so no it is one big collection just just to be clear we just hold it over um a few different wallets just for security purposes and we sometimes change that um yeah me and me and me and osf um 
have known each other for around a decade. We were best friends before before this happened. So um, I, when I got into NFTs back in February um, or January of last year, like I was telling him, you know, I'm get, I think this is going to be huge. You need to get involved. And he similarly had never bought crypto before, or never never really got involved in crypto. I think he bought crypto around the same time that I did, but just held like Bitcoin or something like that. And then by March, April he got fully red-pilled and decided to go all in. So he was one of the few people, and I'm sure a lot of people back then and since then have had the similar sort of experience where you told a bunch of your friends and maybe only one of 10 decided that they were going to um, they were gonna make that move. Luckily, like um, OSF, or his name is Ovi, like we, we are super close. So I managed to convince him. But the other nine people that I told, or 90%, definitely definitely didn't get involved so he was like one of the very very few that did um and then so he has his own story like he got involved he he, he was buying one of one art and then um he minted 150 board apes um because pranks he minted them he was like oh, i've got to mint these i think these are going to be huge um and then promptly sold them all um sold them all when they went to one ETH. Um, and for him, that was like an incredible trade. Like he walked away with 150 ETH, which was like at the time, $450,000. Like I remember him doing it and just being like, this is absolutely insane. This is like crazy. And then after he sold them, they did dip briefly and then they just kept on going up. Um, and he, he used the money to get into one of one art at that time. So he bought a couple of X copies. He, um, he bought he bought the lost robbie that we actually have in our portfolio now um and he bought a few a few other collectibles i think he bought some cool cats he bought some of the meta hero uh universe um but but generally and over that time i i'd bought all these apes along with a, a couple of other things and by september we kind of started talking because we were like well we wanted to quit quit our jobs we we were working full-time jobs up until december so we we would our jobs started at 6 45 in the morning and we'd work from 6 45 until 7 8 at night and then come home and then trade nfts so up until december we were full-time full-time dgens um and then in september we were like well we wanted to quit our jobs so we decided that the best way to do that was to basically put our bags together and luckily there was like some diversification there that we thought we both really liked each other like our stuff medium term but we hadn't had the capital to invest in the same stuff so we decided to put our stuff together and we'd already done a project um earlier in the year so we'd done a project called dgens which was at the time was like a meme slash um i don't know like community-based cartoon profile picture project which we had plans to do like a you know like a cartoon plans to do just like the i remember back then like stuff that seemed revolutionary at the time um because it was relatively early it was like it was around the same time that cool cats actually were launched but then it just kind of completely flopped and we were like right well we can come back we can spend all of our time converting dgens into being more of a um like a alpha discord like not really alpha but like a way to share um 
deep dive research reports, uh, our investment thesis, which is less like pump and dumps and more like right deep dives into stuff. So actually that you guys were kind of both doing your own trading and then you like looked at your portfolios and just really saw the potential of both of them combined and, uh, you know, pooling those assets together is uh, really extraordinary. Also goes to show how, how close you guys are because the level of trust and stuff that's involved with those types of decisions is, is so important. So it makes sense how what you guys were best friends for so long. I love, I just love your journey. I love everything about it. I especially love... Uh, just that you weren't crypto native. I think that is uh, extraordinary, something that a lot of people uh, may not know about you, that a lot of people assume that a lot of um, big money in the space or you know money that's come to be was in crypto prior to the NFTs. But that's really not the case um, with several collectors uh, that are at the top. I think it is the case for a lot of other collectors too to get in from crypto. But there's been, you know, even in the Crazy Carl Discord today, they were, we were talking a little bit about uh, if crypto was going to lead to, to, to people coming into the NFT space or if NFTs lead to people coming into the crypto space. And, and you know, it really, like you said, like the utility and um, the real world application of NFTs is just like something that I, uh, when I was obsessed with r- crypto and reading white papers, there's no doubt about the fact that I, I'm having a lot more fun than I did for three years, and I'm making I get to make money while I do it, but it doesn't feel as much like work. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people don't um, that that people in crypto discount about NFTs. You can really find your passion and find a way to to make you know your your story in in the Web three ecosystem. And the launch of DGens is a perfect example of that. Like. The way you saw it going didn't work out, but then you figured out how to make this collection what you guys already really enjoy doing and add value to other people uh, that want to be a part of it. And that's that's really cool. And I think that's just like something that uh, anyone in the room should be inspired by is like that the, the, the beauty of the NFT space is that you can come in from any any direction and you know you you've got photographers and artists and all these people that are making like money uh, from creating uh, and they're doing it on on in web3 and in this ecosystem and musicians and uh, and it's just a matter of time like you said so many companies are gonna start building on the blockchain and it's uh, it's a really fun time and it feel a lot of times like we're, we were like you said kind of lucky to be in the right place at the right time. But also takes a lot of um, you clearly were watching the market. And I think a lot of people, uh, you know, they've got to have some sort of understand before they really take that dive in. And I just think your story of, of how you went about and uh, hearing that you went all in with your savings, very similar to my story as well. Like I'm a like very uh, like conviction buyer, like I'm just going to go all in on things I believe in. And it's just cool to hear a similar story on your end. So thank you so much for coming up. We're going to move to community corner. We've got a few people uh, requesting to come up and I'm excited to, to hear some of the questions from the audience. Get your catnip and questions ready. It's time for you to take the stage for another segment of community corner. All right. First up, we've got Franco. Franco, what's going on, man? Thanks for coming up. Hello, everyone. Uh, happy to be up here. Thank you for letting me up. Um, I had a question for you, Mando. Uh, during the space, I've heard that uh, most of your 
uh, big investment were uh, from thinking about the metaverse and what's coming with those uh, uh, those new new thing, the new metaverse. And from a gamer perspective, uh, you know, for me, the metaverse, uh, the best metaverse that ever existed was Minecraft. And because, <laughs> uh, you know, that, that's what the rest where people were able to interact from a server and you're able to create so many things from it. And so uh, it's interesting for me to see that so many people in crypto get uh, get so many interests in metaverse related to NFTs because those are usually those are simply like games, but you implant into them a new uh, new feature. And we can see that from a lot of metaverse that are successful or known now, most of them take some uh they take some like uh aspect from those popular games like roblox like minecraft and all kind of <laughs> blog games open open world so it's very interesting for me to, to to know like what's what are you hoping for a metaverse do you see it more as game like those i, I said or more as a social media like uh vr chat or uh, what uh, Meta is wants to, to to bring? Yeah, sure. So um, it's it's an interesting, very interesting question. M- my view on the metaverse isn't isn't uh, when I think of the metaverse, I don't think of like some. It's easy for us to think of some sort of land. You know, that's that's an easy um, generalization of what we can say when we think of the metaverse. My, my, my general view is it's just ex- extension of this idea of the personal self and, and value being found, um, online. So my personal view is actually the, maybe the most popular metaverse for the next five, 10 years might be Twitter. It might be discord. Um, it's just that you find value online, um, most, through those th- through those websites, when you when you eventually see like immersive worlds, then arguably you could see a shift to, to that being the main place where you find value in your virtual self. But um, I still think that 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 might be dystopian for some people. I can imagine social media in its current form, its two D profile pictures, still being a very valuable um, way for you to find that find that um, online value. For, for the next decade at the very least. So um, I, I, don't, I don't have, um, I do think that they, they can be incredibly um, enjoyable and like they, they will appeal to a, to a younger audience as well. Um, I think there's like 2.5 billion gamers in the world right now. So it's a very, very high amount. Um, so like, I'm never going to discount the concept that these things can be valuable. I, I still have questions over like um whether play to earn gaming will necessarily take off in the way that normal gaming will just because i i think that um when you add elements of money to gaming it can shift um the way that people enjoy them and i think there's been pushback for years from gamers particularly uh, things like microtransactions where you we try to over commercialize things in gaming um that, that, that it sometimes can take away from the joy of them. So my, my perceptions about what, what will um, be the metaverse are very, very fluid. Like, I think we will, we, will, um, we will work out what are the most successful over time. 
But for me, the underlying principles will be that you will, like online things will become more valuable. You will have value in your um, digital self. And one of the most easy representations for that across whatever becomes valuable will be these things. Will be these avatars or profiles. I love that question yeah. too, Franco. I think you did. Go ahead. No, uh, I was just uh, that. That's a very nice answer. That is uh, extremely interesting uh, because it, if social media are um, yeah, I know. I mean, it's not if it's because they already are. You know, that's the playground. Uh, NFTs are established, and uh, it's Twitter and Discord at the moment. So when um, when we gave out IPs uh, from like the the, the board ape did with uh, Lab did with their uh, with the board ape when they gave uh, to the older the the right of their IP, it's like giving a utility in. <laughs> In the metaverse, because now you can use it as anything with social media. You can use them for promotion. You can use them to to create all kind of things. And if we think that the metaverse is uh, just the, the next generation of like Web three in general, like the, the platform where we based on, uh, it's a very interesting point of view. Uh, thank you for that. Yeah, thanks, Franco, for coming up. It is really fascinating, man. It's a good point too, because I do think. Uh, from where we are today, obviously, to get to a point that's very immersive, I spent a lot of time too thinking about like the what can actually come online to tech and like what has to stay real world of econ- economies of scale kind of come into play a lot of times with you know there's certain there's certain professions and lab- manual labor, physical labor, healthcare, certain things that you know the blockchain doesn't that you still need uh and so there's there's always going to be so, sort of this balance you can't just live and uh evolve into robots because there's certain aspects of of real world that have to kind of live on uh and that people need to be able to check out from that so it, the the idea of like that dystopian it is interesting it's also crazy to think where we're at uh you know thinking that google is less than 20 years old so it's uh it is fascinating to see where we'll be in 20 30 years from now uh because it is it's like so quickly evolving that i don't think even our wildest imagination can can know how this all kind of continues to evolve manny it's good to have you up here uh go ahead you're on stage with mando awesome man thanks for having me up mando a big fan i've been following you and osf since the morning group radio talks when you guys were talking about the drift stuff but my question to you is like blockchain lending like pfp scores like things like that um there's a new token or a new smart contract coming out where they're doing like an anti-rug technology thing where you can refund it like for the mint price like just kind of wanted to get your take or like a vibe check on something around that like where your thoughts on that yeah, I saw this. So it's called like a it's he's called it a seven twenty like R token or something something like that, hasn't he? He's called it like a different token name. Look, I think it's an interesting concept. I think um, we've seen some pretty horrific rug pulls in this space, or at least like slow rugs, where um, like it sometimes sometimes I look through these projects and it honestly amazes me. Like it's spent on some of these new mints that no one really hears from again. And yet so, some things are seen as like morally indefensible, but like we just turned a blind eye for the amount of stuff that's been minted, which have just, which has just gone to zero, 
via either a slow rug or an instant rug. And like, it's just been as like, oh, well, that was just a rug. But um, I, th I do think that that's kind of a separate point. What I do think um, it is very interesting. And someone said, do we want to have them up on the show? My only view on this is that um, it, it just won't happen. It's like right now, creators can, can raise capital um, by by not doing this. So I, I, my personal view is that it is, um, although I think it's, it is an interesting concept and one that, that might might become more popular, I would imagine that the vast majority will still, of, of builders and founders will still choose to, um, to not use it. I think it creates a slightly, he said that you could create a refund after like 60 days or something like that. Um, I think that creates a slightly um, interesting scenario. Like you could end up gamifying even even a project itself um, around that sort of time, and I, I don't really love that. Um, so my uh, my view is that it's it's just a little bit early to have a strong a strong view on whether that will be successful. But I but what I do think is it won't you won't get a lot of people um, a lot of project founders willingly using it in my opinion. I think that's a good question. I want to follow up uh, with a question that I thought of when you were speaking. Do you think um, in order for you, obviously we saw Moonbirds uh, flying. Do you think what you think it's going to take uh, for new projects to really take off? Do you think we'll, we'll really see any uh, come from like the origins of the Board Ape Yacht Club? Like these, these founders really weren't well known. They, they were anonymous for a while. Do you see a do you see a space where like these kinds of projects can can happen anymore? Uh, we, we talked about provenance, and you know, Gutter Cat, Cool Cats, and Board Apes all were some of the first and still some of the strongest that kind of survived. Uh, I'm I'm curious. You know, is it does it take like those big founders and those big names? Uh, you know, for for VCs and, and other big collectors to really get behind early on at this point. So, so part of the reason that we quit our jobs is that we we don't think this is just going to be profile pictures. Like um, we think that I think Morgan Stanley or one of the other big banks came out and said they think the the metaverse is going to be worth something like five trillion by the end of 2030. That will not just be profile pictures. What you're going to see increasingly is startup style um, money, where founders that traditionally went to to kind of fund themselves via VCs will look at NFTs as perhaps the easiest way to raise money. And that kind of goes back to the point before, like there are very, there's very little consumer protection. There's very little regulation. Um, that's why you get horrific rugs, but you will also attract some incredibly smart people to this space. Like what, what if, if today like replace the name Kevin Rose with Elon Musk, he could have just come on and raised you know, what would be the Elon Musk floor if he, he decided to do it? 50, 100 ETH? He could have raised probably over a billion in NFTs, right? Um, and there will be people of his caliber or people who have been successful entrepreneurs in Web 2 and Web 1, um, which will come into this space. Now, Kevin Rose, I think, was lucky in that he, he understands uh, Web 3. He's been an investor in NFTs for a while. So he had credibility with a large part of the NFT audience. But there will be people who who maybe don't have that sort of cred credibility with Web3, but are incredibly smart uh, entrepreneurs in Web2 and in Web1 and also broadly in many different fields. 
that will come into this space as a way to fund um, different ventures. And I think there's going to be um, there's there's going to be two sides to that. You know, there is some people that will treat that as a cash grab or not understand what it takes to be a founder in this space. Um, and some will produce the most incredible things that you like you've ever seen. Like one of the reasons that we got involved in Rug Radio is that we were, we felt like it was a really cool concept of a Web three media brand. Like owning a Web three media brand is a huge thing. That's just one idea, but you will see plenty of different concepts uh, across ranges of industries that will come into this space, um, which will look to do that. And they will they will feel very much like investing in startups, and they will have as broad aims as startups. So I am. Um, I don't think the next big thing will look like Bored Apes. And to be honest, Moonbirds doesn't really look like Bored Apes to me. No. It, looks like, it, looks, it looks like something very different. And maybe the next thing w- won't even look like um, Moonbirds. It will be something completely different in a, maybe a completely different field. Um, so I think definitely have an open mind to, to, the, to the, the, the strength in founders that will come to this space. Yeah. And I I think there is something to be said too, because I think one thing that I think a lot about is like, we're in this era where you really look at large cap uh, and like in, in the world where this ecosystem continues to grow and grow, there's going to be a lot of micro cap projects that do flourish uh, because they just keep building organically and authentically. And I think those are, those are types of projects that a lot of times we, uh, that get overlooked for a long time because they're just they're just building naturally and organically, and I think it takes a long time. But uh, you see it with small artists that only have a few hundred collectors, or you know, it's like it, there's also so many possibilities for people that don't necessarily have that you know all of the pieces in place to start a whole uh, enterprise or like this large cap uh, NFT project. But they can still be successful in their own right with maybe just one or two people uh, doing really cool stuff for a small community. And so I, I just wanted to add that too because I think there are a lot of builders in this space. And I think it's uh, if you have the right mindset and you're mission driven and you believe in Web three and the the aspect of really building community and value for people, I think you you'd be just fine. So I I, uh, I agree though. I think that it is going to continue to look so different, and it's going to be interesting. Uh, money that's already kind of flown into the space. I'm excited to see what happens the rest of the year. It's definitely VC year uh, for for NFTs. It's just like so much big money starting to come to the space. All right, we'll it's go. a very interesting point, go point ahead. that you just made, though. Like success, success isn't necessarily about scale; it's about niche. You know, it's, it's about it's about building something which you have a walled garden around. Um, I think anyone can be successful in Web three, Genu- genuinely. Like um, you, you look at the tools that you were doing beforehand, and you can f- you can think about different ways to be entrepreneurial. Like one of the the best things is that we are so. We keep on saying it, but we, you are going to be way earlier than everyone else that perhaps did your old job if you were doing a, a regular job beforehand. So you're going to be you're going to be years ahead in terms of thinking of business ideas of what you used to do and how you can revolutionize them in this new organizational model. Um, so I, I completely agree with what you just said. I love that. Yeah, for every for every Walmart or big Amazon, there's got to be a small uh, mom and pop store. You know, like it's uh, it's one of those things. Like this is this like when you think about Web three, it is an economy, and there's constantly going to be new new things being built. 
and you just got to look at it like anything in, in the world, just like supporting uh, the things and the brands that you really love. And, and I think we're just going to keep seeing that grow. Uh, we're running out of time. I know I've got some of you guys up on stage with hands up, but I'm going to go to Fry Guy because he hasn't had a chance to ask his question. Fry Guy, go ahead. No, I appreciate it. And um, thanks for coming up here, Mando, and uh, sharing some knowledge with us. Uh, my phone cut out midway. You were talking about one of ones. Do you guys, do you invest in emerging one of one artists? And if you do, what kind of criteria are you looking for? Yeah, so so one of ones from emerging, like I have, we have bought several emerging one of one artists. Um, it is it is incredibly tough from a collector standpoint. Uh, we will generally buy emerging artists for the for the art rather than for like an investment thesis around it. Um, just generally because one of the main factors is that you feel like you love the art and you feel like. They are perhaps building an audience around what they're doing. Um, I would say that that is, of all the things that we invest in, that's the thing that we probably find the toughest to have like some sort of sort of overarching thesis about how we do it. Um, so, I, um, yeah, look, I don't, I don't really know if I can, I can give much more advice other than we are generally looking for artists that we feel understand that supply demand imbalances, um, like balance and we um and we feel perhaps also like even osf has now moved into being an artist for example um because he was an artist in his much younger life but like felt that he could bring in some of the ethos that he learned from this space just bringing in like a web3 way of even doing art like he he has like a, a, like almost like a token which he then rewards his holders with and We've looked at some of those concepts recently and, and, and felt that that's interesting for now. That might become saturated very, very quickly. But there is part of the reason why people have come into these spaces is to build communities. Like no matter what rug pull you've ever been in, you often find people making friends. And um, that's across every single project. So we, if you're an artist that can help build a community, um, that is an incredibly valuable tool. That is an incredibly valuable tool. Uh, so we'll often look for artists that are trying to do that. Yeah, you know, who was in here just a little bit ago at the beginning of the interview, Vinny Hager has just been incredible at building that that community too in his collection. I think you're right. I think it is. It's um, something with, commu with the artists. You've got to really uh, be able to be able to also connect and your story matters. And, and you see that with people like drift too, is like the story that comes through, uh, and being able to connect with people is so big in, in web three. Well, uh, before we close out, Mando, I wanted to give you a chance to just, uh, thank you again, but to share, uh, any ways, uh, for people to kind of get more involved or, you know, find out about, um, what you guys are up to, what are the best ways to follow you guys or, or kind of get in touch, um, with what you guys are working on? Yeah, sure. So we, we now, like I said, we, we've shifted DGENs, which is the project we were doing before, um, into being kind of the ethos of how we look at the space. So we, we, we do three to six page reports on, I think it's like nearly 40 projects now that we've done reports on. We release it five to six every single week. Um, and it's, it's kind of a, 
a classic um, maybe Discord, like you get involved in the Discord, but the space that aren't involved in flipping and, and trying to get in and out very, very quickly. So it's um, it's a bit more of a relaxed style, and that's been f- fairly successful. And then um, we, uh, we we do a daily show on Rug Radio. So me, me and OSF do a daily show with Farouk. That's every single day at um, 11.30 a.m. Eastern. Um, so you can come on and, and listen to us. Uh, every single day if you if you really want to <laughs> you know one thing that i love about your show i've listened to i uh a couple of them for a little while and i just love you know the the conversation that you guys have the topics you always kind of go through but it's very much like you're you guys have a lot of experience with what you've learned and being able to import impart that on others um having ogs on the space talking about their experiences just really, uh, really important. And and the other th- aspect I love about it is you guys are big investors in Rug Radio, so you're also kind of helping, uh, you know, build that Web three uh, decentralized media. And that is actually a really cool thing that as a collector, you're now able to go back and and help build, which I think is really important and something uh, underestimated with communities is if you can get the community members really involved. That's the game changer. Uh, and that's really, I mean, that's like the whole thesis around the Crazy Carl Collective, but Rug Radio does it so well. And I think that's what you really, Bored Apes do it so well. You really got to build, you know, get the community uh, incentivized to, to build and to help grow the ecosystem. And that show is a perfect example of that because you guys... Uh, it's just a phenomenal way to start the day and to learn. Uh, I highly, che- I, I highly recommend you follow Mando so that you can see when that show is live on Spaces. All right, I want to give a huge shout out of gratitude to Mando for coming on the show to chat about his journey so far in the Web three space. The Crazy About Crypto show does not accept paid advertisements or paid requests to come on the show. The quality of guests and educational content provided is essential. I also want to shout out the Crazy Carl Collective. Crazy Carl is not my real name. I'm just one voice in the Crazy Carl Collective. We're an entity in the Web3 space working to build and grow together. Many guests of the shows are Crazy Carl as well as many people in the audience. If you're not in the collective and continuing to learn about the innovation that Web3 unlocks for us all. Have a great night and we'll see you next time. Now, here we go again. Right when I was closing out, my podcast froze up, but here we go. This has been another production of Guttercat Studios. All conversations with Crazy Carl are for educational purposes only. You should never take financial advice from a cat or anybody really, especially financial advisors. Take control of your own financial future and do your own research always. That's all for now. Until next time, we'll see you in the metaverse.